Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the precious gift we have that is your word. Lord, we thank you that so much of the good that is in us that we see day to day is a direct result of your word changing us, transforming us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that your word may powerfully work upon us again this morning so that we are strengthened in the faith and seek to serve you with all our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've just returned from uh, two weeks' holidays, and while I was on holidays, I went to Queensland for a family reunion up to Cairns, and it was nice to see the area of Queensland to feel the warmth there, but the main reason I was going was to meet up with family. And it's always fun to meet up with family, particularly family members you may have never met before, or people that you've known at different times through the years, they've always been around, you've had some contact with them, but you just haven't seen them for a long time. Family reunions can be a good time, and you sit down, you share a meal together, and you remember the things that have happened in the past that you share as memories with those people. One particular uncle, he always brings a box of gifts to such family reunions, and the gifts have a relationship with the memory that he has associated with the person. And so he gave out uh, a, a screw to one person, he gave dog hair to someone else, he gave Velcro to another person, and to me he gave a little piece of lamb's wool because his memory associated with me is he sent when I was, I think, two years old, a lamb's wool blanket for me. And apparently I continued to carry that around with me everywhere until it deteriorated and just got down to square, a small square that eventually became nothing. And so there he gave me another piece of lamb's wool to replace what had deteriorated in the past. Family reunions are good in that way. You sit around, you have a meal, and you enjoy memories that you share together. And the Israelites this morning we're going to look at are doing that same thing. They're sitting around, they are mostly related to one another, and they're sharing a meal together and remembering good things that have happened in the past. And this is particularly with the meal of the Passover. The Israelites here in Ezra chapter 6, verse 19 begin to celebrate the Passover together. How did the Israelites get to this point in Ezra chapter 6? Well, if we give a bit of a brief history of the Israelites in general, remember back in Genesis you've got Abraham. Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has two sons, uh, Esau and Jacob. Jacob becomes renamed Israel and his sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. From them, they then move to Egypt, they're enslaved there. God then brings them out of Egypt and brings them to the promised land where they are not as faithful as they should be. God then punishes them by sending the king of Assyria, sending the king of Babylon to punish them for what they've done and they're actually taken into exile. They're removed, many of the Israelites removed to Babylon. They spend a period of time there. Then God graciously grants them a return to the promised land. 
They come back to the promised land. They then try to build the temple again. They experience persecution. That's what we've looked at in previous chapters of Ezra. The Israelites are there trying to build the temple. People are opposing them. But now the temple has been built. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. The temple is built. They dedicate the temple. And now this Passover is mentioned. They celebrate this Passover. Now why is the Passover brought up here? The Israelites had many different feasts that they celebrated. Why is the Passover in particular pointed out here? We read in verse 19, on the 14th day, this is after they've sacrificed and dedicated the temple, on the 14th day of the first month, the exiles celebrated the Passover. Why has the author of Ezra, Ezra, chosen to include this detail here? Chosen to include the mention of this feast? Why didn't he mention other feasts that the Israelites would have been celebrating. Why is the Passover given particular mention here? Well, that brings me to my first main point this morning. The celebration of the Passover was significant. The celebration of the Passover was significant, particularly at this point in time. What is the Passover? Well, the Passover was a remembrance of the redemption that the Israelites had received from coming out of Egypt. Remember what I just said about the Israelite history? The Israelites at one point were enslaved in Egypt. They were under Pharaoh's power and treated terribly. But God, in his mercy, redeemed them. He redeemed them by changing a king's heart, changing Pharaoh's heart, so that he let God's people go and that they were allowed to come out of Egypt. And he did that by, of course, the different plagues that he sent upon Egypt and the last final plague, which is connected to the Passover, the last final plague that he sent on Egypt was the death of the firstborn children of every household, except for those households that were Israelite and had painted the blood of the Passover lamb on the doors. So the angel of death passed over those homes and the children were safe. So this Passover meal was a very special part of Israelite history, remembering Israelite history, where God had redeemed them from slavery, that they weren't still stuck in Egypt as slaves. No, they're in the promised land. And they can celebrate that redemption that God had provided. But I think the reason it's mentioned here is because another redemption has just taken place as well. As they're remembering their redemption from Egypt, they're also remembering their redemption from Babylon. They were taken by a king as captives to Babylon. And now God has brought them back. They're now back in the promised land. They have been redeemed not just from Egypt many years ago, but now, more recently, they've been redeemed from Babylon. And how did they get released from Babylon? By a king's heart being changed. We see that in verse 22. What does it say? For seven days they celebrated with joy the Feast of Unleavened Bread, another name for the Passover, because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria so that he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. God changed the heart of Pharaoh so that he would let them go. Now he's also changed the heart of the king of Assyria so that the people could return to the promised land. So they're not just remembering now 
one redemption, they're remembering two redemptions. They've been redeemed from Egypt, they've been redeemed from Babylon. Or is it Assyria? It says they're the king of Assyria. Some people go, ooh, mistake in the Bible here. Ezra meant to write Babylon, but he mistakenly wrote Assyria. And so some commentators will say that here, that this is a scribal error or an author's error if they have a very low view of scripture. But I don't think it is a mistake. I think here it is quite right for Ezra to say king of Assyria, if that's what he wants to say, because often when a king conquered another land, he would take the title of that king that he conquered. And so if we remember Israelite history, they get into the promised land, they then sin a lot, and then God punishes them how? Firstly, he sends the king of Assyria. The king of Assyria stomps on them. Then the king of Babylon comes and stomps on them. And then the king of Persia comes and stomps on them. And so even though the king Cyrus, king of Persia, and Darius, their hearts have been changed, they really do retain the title king of Assyria. And other historians do write that, that they take another name, the the title of the king that they've conquered. Herodotus does that in his writings, that they take the title. So it's not a mistake here, the king of Assyria. But what we do see is that God has changed the hearts of multiple kings. He's changed the heart of Cyrus. He's changed the heart of Darius so that God's people are redeemed from the land of Babylon by the king of Assyria, if you want to call him that, as Ezra does in this passage. So we've seen why the Passover is mentioned here is because it has such a strong correlation with what has actually just happened. It is a remembrance of redemption, and they've just been redeemed Who takes part in the Passover? We've looked at why the Passover happens. Now I want to look at who takes part. And my second main point this morning is that celebration of the Passover was only for God's people. Only for God's people. And we see that particularly in verse 21. Verse 21 it reads, So the Israelites who had returned from the exile ate it, that is the Passover, together with all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbours in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. So here we see who's eating it? The Israelites who returned from the exile, God's people, those people that God had redeemed. Is that it? Just the Israelites? No, it says here, together with all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbours in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. Here we see the openness of God to Gentiles. God is never opposed to Gentiles worshipping him, non-Jews worshipping him in the Old Testament. We see that again and again, that there's non-Jews who are part of the Israelite community. And here we see it again. It's not the Israelites saying, no, 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 you can't worship our God. They are open to people from outside the Israelite ancestry, the Israelite bloodlines, becoming a part of their worship of God. And what is the requirement, though? Do they just welcome anyone? Remember, they actually told people to get lost back in chapter 4 when we looked at it. People came and said, we want to build the temple, we worship your God. They say, no, no, get away from us. Why did they say that? Because they hadn't done what these people did in verse 21. What is that? together with all who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbours 
in order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. These are people who have admitted their sin. They have repented of their sinfulness, what they have been doing in the past, and now they separate themselves. They make themselves holy. The word holy means to separate, to set something apart. And now they're being made holy. They're separating themselves from the unclean practices, the sin of those around them. So they can do what? So they can seek the Lord, the God of Israel. They want to seek God. They want to worship him according to God's laws. Remember that the people in this land, they did worship God. But they worshipped God along with all the other gods that they had. They just worshipped him as the God of the particular place that they were staying in. Whereas these guys, these people who want to be involved in the Passover... They want to seek the Lord according to the way that he instructs them to seek him. So that's who celebrates the Passover. I just want to now look at what is the result of this Passover. What does it cause in this community of God's people? We've seen why they celebrate the Passover, because it remembers a redemption, and particularly two redemptions that they've experienced. We've seen who. Now, what is the result? My third main point this morning, then, is... The celebration of the Passover was joyful. Remembering the redemption that they have received from Egypt and from Babylon is a joyful thing. We read in verse 22, it says, For seven days they celebrated with joy. It's not just one day of celebration. It goes on and on. It's one of those big family gatherings, you know, where I, I, I'm not an Aussie um, culture doesn't really do this but I know of other cultures where you get married and it just continues day after day after day they continue to celebrate that the the thing that has happened and that's what's going on here for seven days they celebrate it and they celebrate it with joy they are happy about what has happened they're happy that they have been redeemed from Egypt they're happy that they have been redeemed from Babylon. And so it says, celebrated with joy the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And why? Because the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria so that he assisted them in the work on the house of God, the God of Israel. They are remembering there how great it is that God changed the heart of the king of Assyria. So now, now they are back in the promised land. And it's interesting here that it's not an individual joy. They're celebrating it together. It's a communal joy that they are enjoying this Passover together with. God didn't just redeem one of them. He redeemed many of them together. And so it's a community of joy that they're experiencing. And you see this whenever we experience something of joy as well. We like other people to be involved in our joy. I brought back from Queensland a thing of gummy bears for Joshua. As a present for Daddy being away, here's something to make up for it. Jill, of course, you may not know, Jill and Joshua and Philippa stayed while I went away on holidays. But um, I brought him back gummy bears, and he loves them. It's the first time he's ever had gummy bears, and bear is one of the words that he can actually say. And so he points at the cupboard and says, bear, bear, wants a bear down. He loves them. And when he gets one, he doesn't just eat it, he turns to you, he holds it. And looks around for Jill if Jill's not in the um, hasn't been giving him the gummy bear. Looks for to her and grins as to share his joy with her. Do you share my joy, Mummy, that I have a gummy bear to eat? 
And then his joy is not just about getting other people to enjoy the experience he is um, experiencing himself. I think his joy is increased when other people share the experience with him. So if I eat a gummy bear with him, his joy is increased. It's not just him enjoying a gummy bear, it's me enjoying one with him. And if I give him one to take to mummy, he quickly takes it over and eats one and then shows mummy what he has, this gummy bear. He loves to share that experience with you. And that's what the Israelites are doing here. It's not one of them that's been redeemed from Babylon. Many Israelites have come back. There's a whole list of their names back in earlier parts of Ezra as we've looked at it. Many, many people God has redeemed. And so they're experiencing this joy together. They're saying to one another how wonderful it is that God has redeemed us. And they do it as a community together, not individually. So this is the Israelites here. They've, we've seen why they're remembering the Passover. We've seen who remembers it. We've seen what is the result of it that it gives joy. What is the application for us? Do we as Christians need to celebrate this Passover? Should we be having a seven-day feast together? Should we be remembering the Passover the way that they did it then? We should all have some lamb and some unleavened bread together. Well, Christians are never commanded to celebrate the Passover and we do not have that at our church, our feast that goes for seven days. But we are commanded to remember a redemption. We haven't been, our ancestry doesn't say that we have been redeemed from Egypt. You may have part Jew in you and so you may have been. But we haven't been redeemed from Egypt. We haven't been redeemed from Babylon. But we do have a redemption a particular redemption that has occurred for us. And we are supposed to remember it in a similar way to these Israelites remembering their redemption here this morning. And so that brings me to my fourth main point this morning. The celebration of Jesus' death is significant. We should be celebrating Jesus' death together. Why should we celebrate Jesus' death? How are you redeemed by Jesus' death? Well, we've been redeemed from sin by Jesus' death. We've been redeemed when we've trusted in Jesus' death for us. We have been redeemed from a sinful life. We are no longer destined for hell because of our sins. Instead, we are passed over and we go to heaven instead. The judgment does not fall upon us because it has fallen upon Jesus Christ. So we should be remembering, celebrating Jesus' death because of the redemption that we have experienced. And we continue to experience redemption through Jesus' death. Jesus' death redeems us from sin. It redeems us from the punishment of sin, but it continues to redeem us day by day. You feel the effects of Jesus' death each day. You are slowly being redeemed from sin. If you are a Christian, you should be progressively being sanctified. You should see that sins that you struggled with in the past are not a problem for you anymore. Or they're less of a problem than they were in the past. And so when you remember Jesus' death, you celebrate that. The ongoing redemption that you're experiencing, redemption from sin. And we also celebrate the future redemption that we will experience from sin. 
I don't know about you, but I hate the fact that I keep on sinning. I haven't been fully redeemed in that I stopped sinning. I'm still waiting for this body to be redeemed. I'm waiting for it to stop getting sick. It's terrible to catch a cold, which is what I've done in my holidays. It's horrible. But it's horrible that I sin ongoing again and again. And so I love to get together with other people and celebrate the fact that one day this body that I have now will be completely redeemed from sinfulness, completely redeemed from sickness. That's what I look forward to. And I celebrate it now as I remember Jesus' death and the redemption that it brings. So Christians should be celebrating Jesus' death. It is a significant, the most significant thing in your life if you are a Christian. But who are Christians? Who gets to celebrate Jesus' death? Well, that brings me to my fifth main point this morning. Celebration of Jesus' death is only for God's people. The Passover was only for God's people and we see celebration of Jesus' death is only for God's people too. We see that in the New Testament. Who remembers Jesus' death? Who remembers redemption from their sins? It's the people who separate themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbours. That was who celebrated the Passover here. Verse 22. All who had separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbours. Remembering Jesus' death is not for those who have not separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbours. You do not remember a redemption that is not yours to remember. If you have not repented of your sins, then you shouldn't be remembering Jesus' death as a redemption for you. And why did they, these Israelites separate themselves from the unclean practices? In order to seek the Lord, the God of Israel. If you're not seeking the Lord, the God of Israel, then you shouldn't be remembering Jesus' death either. You should be repenting of your sins, which means a separation from your sins. You're turning your back on the sinful practices of those around you. You're trusting in Jesus' death to wipe away those sins so that you're no longer punished for them. And then you're actively seeking to do what is right. Not because that saves you, your repentance and faith are the grounds of your salvation. But you seek the Lord as an evidence that you are indeed saved. And that is who should be remembering Jesus' death. That is, those are the people who should be celebrating Jesus' death as a redemption of their sins. Because it is only those who have repented, only those who have believed in Jesus' death for them, only those who continue to seek God that have redemption and should be celebrating Jesus' death. So we've seen why we celebrate Jesus' death because it's such a significant part of our lives. We've seen who gets to celebrate Jesus' death. What should be the result of Jesus' death? That leads me to my sixth point this morning. Celebration of Jesus' death is joyful. We saw that with the Israelites. Remembering their redemption gave them joy. Gave them joy for a whole week together. 
And it should be the same with us. We have an even greater redemption that we know of. These Israelites, they were celebrating the redemption from Egypt, a redemption from Babylon. We're celebrating a redemption from sin. We're celebrating Jesus' death, which finally pays for our sin. And we should be celebrating it as a community together. The New Testament encourages us to meet together and celebrate Jesus' death. And it should be a joy for us to do that with one another. You should be in hell right now paying for your sins, but you're not. And it's not just you as an individual. There are many people around you who have also been redeemed. And so we should be getting together and being joyful about that fact. It should bring us joy to remember Jesus' death when we come together at church on Sunday and remember it. Reading about Jesus' death together in the scriptures should bring us joy. Praying about Jesus' death together should bring us joy. Singing songs about Jesus' death together should bring us joy. Celebrating the Lord's Supper together in a way that he has instituted that we should remember his death should bring us joy as we remember the lamb that was slain for us so that we are no longer counted unrighteous. So is it a joy for you to come to church and remember Jesus' redemption for you with other people? Or is coming to church boring for you? Is remembering Jesus' death by hearing about sermons about it boring for you? Is singing about Jesus' death boring? Is praying about Jesus' death boring? Is celebrating the Lord's Supper one of those things that you find boring and tacked on to an end of a service and you wish you'd hurry up and get it over with? If that is yes, why is that? Why are you bored when you come to church? Why do you not experience joy when you come to church? Is it possible that you're one of the people who shouldn't be remembering Jesus' redemption? Is it possible that you may be someone who has not separated yourself from the unclean practices of your Gentile neighbours and you're not seeking the Lord? Because if that is true, then it's no surprise that you don't experience joy when you come to church and hear about Jesus' death, hear about his redemption, because you haven't been redeemed. And Jesus' death should be something that really plagues you and worries you because it shows how seriously God takes sin, that he would crucify his own son because of sin. And you know that your time is coming. And so it shouldn't fill you with joy to hear about Jesus' death. It should haunt you. It should fill you with despair. If that is you, I want to encourage you this morning to repent. Separate yourself from the unclean practices of your Gentile neighbours. Believe Jesus died for you so that you can celebrate Jesus' death with joy. When you come together with other Christians, it should be the high point of your week because these are the people that know about Jesus' death in the same way that you know about Jesus' death. They have been redeemed just like you have and you have a redemption that you're looking forward to where your body will be taken from the grave and made given, you're given an eternal body and you're made completely righteous for eternity. Now, if you are a Christian and you 
have repented and you have believed and you still don't feel joy, what are you to do? Well, I want to encourage you, if that is you, you still don't feel much joy in meeting with other Christians, then keep putting aside the unclean practices of your Gentile neighbours. Examine your life. What sins are you holding more dear to you that rob you of your joy of remembering Jesus' death in community with others? If you engage in sin all week, it is no surprise that getting together on Sunday to remember Jesus' death for sin isn't a joy for you. Separate yourself from the unclean practices of your Gentile neighbours and keep seeking the Lord. If you don't experience joy at church, is it because most of the week you don't give God a thought? You aren't seeking him at all. You don't pray to him, you don't read his word, you don't converse about him with anyone, you don't read any Christian books, you don't read anything that makes you seek God, that encourages you to seek him. And so when you come along to church on Sunday, is it any surprise that you don't feel any joy when you haven't considered him all week at all? If you don't experience joy at church, is it because you're not seeking him through the week? And then lastly, what else should I encourage you to do? Ask God to fill you with joy. Notice the source of their joy here. Verse 22. For seven days they celebrated with joy the Feast of Unleavened Bread because the, God, the Lord had filled them with joy by changing the attitude of the king of Assyria. God is the one who gives you joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit, joy is there mentioned as one of the things God's gracious gifts to you. If you separate yourself from the unclean practices of the, your Gentile neighbours through the week, you seek God and you're still not feeling joy about Jesus' death, his redeeming you from sin and eternity in hell, then ask God to give you more joy about something that you know should be a source of joy for you that you should be rejoicing about. So, do you remember Jesus' death because it is a significant part of your life? It is the focal point of your life, Jesus' death at the cross. You've been saved, redeemed from sin. You are being redeemed from sin and one day you will be redeemed completely from sin. Do you remember Jesus' death because you have put aside the unclean practices of your Gentile neighbours and seek the Lord? And do you remember Jesus' death with joy, with the community of believers that God has graciously given you? Let's speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we cannot thank you enough for your redemption of us from Sin, your sending your Son to die for our sin so that we are no longer punished for our sin for eternity in hell and that day by day we see ourselves being redeemed from sin and we one day will be completely redeemed from these sinful bodies we have. Lord, it is so wonderful that you have redeemed us. 
Lord, we pray that we may meet together as redeemed people who have set ourselves apart from the unclean practices of those around us and earnestly seek you. We pray that we may love to do so. May it fill us with joy to be at church, to hear about your redemption of us, to sing about your redemption, to pray about your redemption, to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as we remember our redemption of us from our sins. Lord, we do pray that you may indeed fill us with joy, which we should have because of this wonderful truth that is contained in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.